Hello and welcome to Sparkle Tech, episode number 32 of this series of musings and mutterings from my favorite city, San Francisco. Well, my alternate life as a provider of services in exchange for financial considerations, also known as my paying job, has started to cut dangerously into my Sparkle Tech time, something I alluded to in the last show. I had been considering going to an every-other-week format, but I just can't stand the idea of two weeks of dead air. So I've hit upon an alternative idea that I'll resort to in weeks when real life, so to speak, prevents me from doing the research necessary to put together a regular story. There have been a great number of letters written from and about San Francisco throughout the decades, some by visitors and some by citizens, some known around the world, others anonymous. It struck me that it might be as interesting to you as it is to me just to hear some of those voices from the past brought temporarily back to life, to see the city and its environs through the pens of contemporary eyewitnesses, some who wrote with an eye towards posterity, but others who were just sending their thoughts across the country to loved ones left behind. There's really nothing like the comfortable details of a letter back home to connect us, to provide a glimpse into the humanity of previous generations. If you've perhaps discovered a letter like this, inherited something from a member of the San Francisco branch of your family tree, please consider sending it in. I'm sure that the rest of the listeners to this show would be delighted to share in a bit of your, and our, personal history. This week I've selected a letter written from the banks of the Feather River, my childhood stomping grounds up in the Northern California gold country, early in the gold rush. Mr. William Swain's letter to his brother George in Independence, Missouri is an absolute treasure. A straightforward, over-the-shoulder look at the reality of life in the northern Sierra at a critical juncture in California history. I've extracted the letter from the classic work about the gold rush by J.S. Holliday entitled The World Rushed In, and I certainly hope that you enjoy it. Without further ado, Mr. William Swain. January 6th, 1850, South Fork of the Feather River, 25 miles from Long's Trading Post and 16 miles above Bidwell's Trading Post. Dear George, It is so long a time since I wrote you, and I have passed through so many scenes and changes of conditions that I scarcely know what to say among the multitude of things I wish to write. You've probably all had much anxiety about my safe arrival in California, and as you've been unable to hear from me for so long a time, you will be desirous of having a lexicon of our journey. I wrote from Raft River by John Root, who packed through from that point, and I will commence my letter at that point, but I can only give you a word in this letter, as there is so much to say about California and its mines of gold. We arrived at Lawson's Ranch on the 8th day of November, tired and worn down with toil and exposure, but hardy, healthy, and in good spirits, buoyant with hope. We were in the Sacramento Valley in the rainy season, destitute of provisions, without shelter, and everything eatable worth from $1 to $1.50 per pound. In fact, all was dear but rain and mud, which was everywhere. We rested three days and put out for the Feather River Mines, where we arrived on the 14th of November at Long's Trading Post, the first mines on this stream. The swollen river prevented the miners from operating near its bed where gold is found most abundantly. 
Generally, they were doing no more than boarding themselves, though occasionally one would make a lucky hit and find his thousands. During the fall, miners could average their ounce clear in working with rockers on the bars and edges of the streams, and those who were lucky enough to make dams across the streams before the rains often made large sums in a few days and frequently in a few hours. Mr. Hutchinson had packed through on his pony from the summit where we dissolved the joint stock company that we started with from Independence. He, Mr. Bailey, myself, and Mr. Samuel J. Moore of Calhoun County, Michigan, a Methodist preacher, and Lieutenant Franklin Cannon of Manchester, Michigan, have agreed to work in the mines on the joint principle. From all that Mr. Hutchinson had learned and that we could hear, we judged the south fork of the Feather River to be the most likely to yield a pile another summer. In late November, we bought provisions at Long's Trading Post and took packs of 50 pounds each. We traveled over the mountains for 25 miles through rain, mud, clouds, and arrived on the South Fork on the third day. After prospecting two days, we located a spot favorable for damming and draining the river. We made our claim and then built a house as soon as possible to shelter our heads from the soaking rains. So here we are, snug as school marms, working at our race and dam. Whenever the rain will permit, a fall of the river will enable us to get into the bed of the river and know what's there. If there's no gold, we shall be off to another place, for there is an abundance of gold here, and if we are blessed with health, we are determined to have a share of it. You may have some curiosity to know something about our location and dwelling. Our house is a log cabin, 16 by 20 feet. It's covered with boughs of cedar, and is made of nut pine logs from one to two feet in diameter so that it's quite a blockhouse. It has a good door made of cedar boards hewn out of our cedar logs but no window. It faces the south and is on the north side of the river. In the east end is a family fireplace in which large back logs are burning night and day. At the west end is a bedstead framed into the logs of the cabin and running from side to side. The cords of the bedstead are strips of rawhide crossing at every three inches, thus forming a bottom tight enough to hold large armfuls of dry brakes gathered from the sides of the mountains, which make a substitute for feather beds. On these are our blankets and buffalo skins. Altogether, it makes a comfortable bed. Moore has a bunk in one of the other corners. Over the fireplace are our rifles, which are ever-ready, cocked and primed, and frequently yield us good venison. In the other corner may be seen our cupboard with its contents, which consist of a few wooden and tin dishes, bottles, knives, forks, and spoons, tin frying pan, boiler, and coffee pot. Around the sides of the cabin at various points are the few articles of clothing belonging to the different members of the company. Under the bed are five cakes of tallow. Under the bunk are three or four large bags of flour. Along the point of the roof is a line of dried beef and 60 or 70 pounds of suet. And out at the corner of the house in a large trough made from pine may be found salt beef in the pickle, in abundance. At 10 in the evening you might see in this cabin, while everything is still, a fire blazing up from the mass of fuel in the large fireplace. Myself and Hutchinson on one end of the bedstead, Lieutenant Cannon on the other, and Moore in his bunk. On the roof, the incessant rain keeps up its perpetual patter, while the foaming stream howls out a requiem of the rushing torrent as it dashes on its way to the valley. 
And here, wakeful and listless, are the members of other circles too. But often the mind is far away, filled with other scenes, far distant homes and relatives. In front of our cabin, a mountain rises from the edge of the river 2,000 feet and hides the sun until 10 o'clock in the day. Its top is often covered with snow. The live oak and numerous other mountain evergreens, besides the pine and cedar, green as spring, are loaded with snow near the mountaintop and dripping with rain on its side and base. And this is only a specimen of the hills and scenery on all sides of us. The following is a list of prices current per pound when we arrived at Long's Bar. Pork, $1.25. Beans, from $0.75 cents to $1.00. Sugar, $0.75. Cents. Coffee, $0.50. Cents. Tea, $2.50. Celeratus, $6.00. Vinegar, $5.00. Pickaxes and tin pans, $8.00 apiece. Coffee pots, $6.00 to $8.00. And frying pans, $6.00. We found the most extraordinary state of morals in the mines. Everything in this country is left where the owner wished to leave it, in any place, no matter where, as such a thing as stealing is not known. Miners' rights are well protected. Disputes seldom arise and are settled by referees as they would be at home. But George, I tell you, this mining among the mountains is a dog's life. A man has to make a jackass of himself, packing loads over mountains that God never designed man to climb, a barbarian by foregoing all the comforts of civilized life, and a heathen by depriving himself of all communication with men away from his immediate circle. You can judge my feelings when I inform you that I have not had an opportunity to send to Sacramento City for my letters and papers and have no tidings from home since I received your last letter at Independence and I have not seen a newspaper since I left the States. There was some talk between us of your coming to this country. For God's sake, think not of it. Stay at home. Tell all whom you know that are thinking of coming that they have to sacrifice everything and face danger in all its forms. For George, thousands have laid and will lay their bones along the roots to and in this country. Tell all that death is in the pot if they attempt to cross the plains and hellish mountains. Say to Plater never to think of the journey, and as for you, stay at home, for if my health is spared, I can get enough for both of us. My health has been extremely good since I arrived here. I'm 15 pounds heavier than when I left home and measured six feet last evening. A slight attack of rheumatism in the left hip has given me some trouble for a few days. You may think from the tenor of this letter that I am sick of my job, but not so. I have not seen the hour yet when I regretted starting for California, nor have any one of our little party ever regretted that we undertook the enterprise. I have seen hard times, faced the dangers of disease and exposure and perils of all kinds, but I count them as nothing if they enable me to place myself and family in comfortable circumstances. Now you'll think that there is a contradiction in the advice that I gave you and the others about coming to California and the declaration of my own satisfaction that I have performed the journey. The fact is that gold is plenty here and the accounts received before I left home did not exaggerate the reality. Therefore, I'm glad that I'm here. But the time is past, if it ever existed, when fortunes could be obtained for picking them up. Gold is found in the most rocky and rough places, and the streams and bars that are rich are formed of huge rocks and stones. 
In such places, you'll see, it requires robust labor and hard tugging and lifting to separate the gold from the rock. But this is nothing to the risk of life run in traveling to this country. Therefore, if I was at home and knew all the circumstances, I think I should stay at home. But having passed those dangers in safety, I thank God that I am here in so favorable circumstances. I hope soon to send for my letters, and God grant that they may bring no sad intelligence from home, for I almost dread to hear from that happy home, fearing that our neighborhood may have become the theater of cholera. You are better acquainted with the state of things around San Francisco Bay than I am, and therefore I say nothing about them. I have felt great anxiety about my wife and child as I left them no means to live upon for so long a time, expecting to send home means before this, and also their necessities might embarrass you. I hope that you will see that they are provided for, and if I can remunerate you for any trouble you may have, I shall feel willing to do so and ever feel grateful for your kindness. Give my love to mother if she is yet living, and say to her that I often, very often, think of her. Tell Sabrina not to be over-anxious about me, for I shall be careful of my health, and as soon as I can get the rocks in my pocket, I shall hasten as fast as steam can carry me. Write often, for I may sometime or another get your letters. January 12th We have had heavy rains and high water, but the weather has now cleared off fine like spring, and spring is here, for the mountain oaks are putting out their leaves, and all things are assuming a green hue. We are in the hopes of having dry weather soon. It's just for me to say that if my health is good and I do not have extraordinary good luck, I may not be home till next fall. Mr. Bailey is well and sends his love to his family. January 16th the rapidity with which this country is settling is only equaled by the change being made by Yankee Enterprise. Three weeks ago, but one steamboat plowed its way across San Francisco Bay and but one traversed the Sacramento River. Now four steamers may be seen making their regular trips from San Francisco to Yuba City and flour which was then selling at 75 cents a pound is now worth 40, as I have just heard from Mr. Hutchinson who has come home from Long's Trading Post. When we first located on this stream, no more than six houses were built on it. Now, within a distance of 10 miles, 150 dwellings are built. The Redskin, who four months ago roamed in his nakedness, the undisputed lords of these mountains and valleys, may now be seen on the hilltops gazing with surprise upon the scenes below. The habitations, the deep-dug channels, and the dams built. The sound of the laborer's axe, shovel, pick and pan are sounds new to his ear and the sight one to which his eye has never been accustomed. The natives of these mountains are wild, live in small huts made of brush and go naked as when they were born. They subsist on acorns and what game they kill with their bows and arrows. They are small in stature and their character is timid and imbecile. When they visit the camps of the miners, they evince the most timid and friendly nature. They're charged with killing miners occasionally when they find one alone, away among the hills hunting. The miners, especially the Oregon men, are sometimes guilty of the most brutal acts with the Indians, such as killing the squaws and papooses. Such incidents have fallen under my notice that would make humanity weep and men disown their race. I send this by a man who's going to Sacramento City and to San Francisco on purpose for mails. 
He leaves here Saturday and will return in two weeks, when I shall probably get my letters by him, paying two dollars apiece for bringing them up. I shall write as often as I can, and shall fill my engagements to different persons to whom I promise to write as soon as I have gained sufficient knowledge of the country to do so understandingly. Say to Mr. Burge that this climate in the mines requires a constitution like iron. Often for weeks during the rainy season it's damp, cold, and sunless, and the labor of getting gold is of the most laborious kind. Exposure causes sickness to a great extent, for in most of the mines tents are all the habitation miners have. But with care, I think health can be preserved. Give my love to Sabrina, and kiss little cub for me. Goodbye, George. William. P.S. I have wafered in some samples of gold found on the main branch of the Feather River. The coarse is a fine specimen found on this fork, but gold found here is often as coarse as a hickory nut. P.S. An onion in the mines is worth a dollar, and boots forty dollars a pair. I have paid eight dollars for a jar of pickles. P.S. All well, and I have sent this to San Francisco by a Mr. Tolls by paying fifty cents. Thanks go out this week to Kelly Cavagnuolo for providing the music, a track called Violet, provided by the pod show Podsafe Music Network. Check them out at music.podshow.com. As always, I'm available at sparkletack at gmail.com or on the comments page of www.sparkletack.com for comments, questions, or show requests. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed that letter as much as I did. Till next time.